You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and solid movie and TV recommendations for whatever ails you. Note, we are not real therapists. We are not real psychologists, psychiatrists, astrologers. We are not part of the Psychic Friends Network as much as we'd love to be, but we are real film critics. I am a real metaphysicist. I will say that. (laughs) I don't know about you, Kristen. All right. (laughs) Rafer, should we get to this week's letters? Yes, let's read them. I'll read the first one. Uh, This one comes from Celeste. Uh, Celeste says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I've lived with my current roommate and friend for nearly three years now, but due to the pandemic, health-related reasons, and reasons outside of my control, she is moving to a one-bedroom apartment. Although I understand her choice, it does hurt my feelings a bit, and I'll miss her as a roommate. We've promised to stay friends, and I think we will, but now I need to potentially find a new roommate, or more likely, live by myself, which is something I've really tried to avoid. I don't like living alone or being by myself for very long. I can do it, but it's not my preferred state. Do you have any movie suggestions that could help ease my anxiety about living alone, as well as help me cope with losing my roommate? Mm, this is an interesting predicament. We haven't had this one before, Rafer. Yeah, that's it. That is interesting. Um, it's interesting that this would be happening during the pandemic. Although I guess you know, a little expected. People people need their space more than they used to in this pandemic. <laughs> yeah, one of my friends he recently lost a roommate, and he can't find another roommate because people are leaving New York who are in his income bracket who would have a roommate. Right. So he's really struggling and he's not really sure what to do. Uh, Celeste, I'm happy for you that you can afford to do this on your own, it sounds like. Uh, not, Not everybody can. Yeah. But the reason I say it's interesting is because... I'm one of those people who loves living alone. So I'm, I always find Me it too. I, I always find it fascinating when somebody is really sad about losing a roommate because I'm not like that. <laughs> <laughs> I am um, the same way. I'll just preface this by saying I love my family, but Celeste, <laughs> Celeste, you're in a you're in a dream situation as far as I'm concerned. Oh no, due to reasons beyond my control, I must live alone. 
whatever will I do? That's, that's, that sounds, that sounds great to me. Oh my God. But, um, uh, not to make light of your situation. It does not sound great to you. Celeste and I understand that we're all different. You don't like living alone. I get that. You say you can do it, but it's not your preferred state. You know, listen, we do, every, every, everyone is distant. And so I'm sure it's difficult to have someone who's been um, not just a roommate, but a friend, someone that you feel close to, someone you're close enough to that you want to stay friends with. It's got to be difficult to have that person, you know, move out. You know, no more of those, no more of those late nights, no more of those morning breakfasts, all that kind of stuff um, that you, you know, had fun with your roommate doing. Um, yeah, that sounds hard. Yeah, if you have somebody under your roof who you like quite a bit and they're going somewhere else, yeah, I, I can see where that would hurt. But Reefer, what are we going to recommend here? What are we going to prescribe, Celeste? Well, I was kind of, uh, I was fishing around for some ideas here. Um, I, had a, I had a couple of different ideas I was juggling. They didn't seem quite right. So this might seem like an odd choice, but I chose a movie from 2015, pretty well-known film, called Room. Oscar-winning film from 2015. Kristen, I'm sure you saw this. Oh, of course. I thought Room was so outstanding. The acting was amazing. The yes. the development of characters when you're just trapped in a room. I'm sorry, I'm stepping on the plot right now. I will let you tell the story of what Room is. That's all right. That's all right. No, you're right. Uh, yeah, it got a lot of acclaim. Uh, Brie Larson uh, got an Oscar for this. Uh, Jacob Tremblay, uh, you know, one of the best child actors I have ever seen. Kind of fallen off the radar recently. I wonder what he's what he's doing, actually, now that I think about it. Um, and Lenny, Abraham, Lenny Abrahamson, the director, uh, one of my favorites, he did Frank, and he also did the series uh, Normal People as oh, well. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, anyway... Yeah, yeah, uh, he's he's great. I think he's one of the one of the best things going. So this so room, uh, as you may know, because like I say, I think this got a lot of press at the time. Even if you didn't see it, um, you might know a little bit about it. It's the story of a young woman named Joy Newsom. It's played by Brie Larson. She's uh, I think she's about twenty four when we meet her, and for many years, ever since she was a teenager, she has lived in captivity in essentially a one-room dungeon. She's trapped there by a guy named Old Nick. He kidnapped her, built this special soundproof room for her with a lock that only he has the combination to, and he has kept her there, uh, fed her, raped her repeatedly. And uh, in fact, she now has his child, Jack. He's about six years old. He's uh, the kid played by Jacob Tremblay. And this little room is the only world he has ever known. He just calls it room. And one day, in a scene that is way too good to spoil or give any details on, they manage to escape, and Joy returns to her family. Jack can go to regular school, play with other kids. It seems like this miracle, you know, they're back out in the real world. It's like being in heaven or something. Only Joy and Jack, neither one of them really do so well in the outside world. And in fact, they both kind of miss being in room. Here's a clip. Do you remember how Alice wasn't always in Wonderland? She fell down, 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 deep in a hole. Right, well, I wasn't always in room. I'm like Alice. I was a little girl named Joy. Nah. And I lived in a house with my mom and my dad. You would call them grandma and grandpa. What house? A house. It was in the world. And there was a backyard, and we had a hammock. We would swing in the hammock, and we would eat ice cream. A TV house? No, Jack, a real house, not TV. Are you even listening to me? When I was a little older, when I was 17, I was walking home from Where school. Where was I? You were still up in heaven. But there was a guy, he pretended that his dog was what sick. What guy? Old Nick. We call him Old Nick. I don't know what his real name is. But he pretended his dog was What's sick. What's the dog's name? Jack, there wasn't a dog. He was trying to trick me. Okay? 
There wasn't a dog. Old Nick stole me. I want a different story. No, this is the story that you get. Reefer, this movie is outstanding and it deserved every one of the Oscar nominations it received. But it's also incredibly traumatic and gave some of my friends nightmares. I'm curious about why this is the movie that you would prescribe to Celeste. <laughs> That's interesting. Did people find it really, um, really nightmarish? I didn't. I didn't necessarily find it that way. Um, you know, there's the kidnapping and the raping and the, you know. Well, okay. You, you know, there's those things. <laughs> okay, that's a good point. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. Well, I mean, I didn't think of it as a horror film. I mean, I, if anything, I think it's kind of an interesting kind of a combination between psychological thriller and just sort of a straightforward drama. It's a, it's a, it's kind of an uncategorizable film. Celeste, I'm sorry if this sounds, uh, if this is uh, triggering or traumatic sounding to you in any way, but uh, the, 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 what I took away from this movie is that you get used to whatever you're used to. If, if you're, if you're, if it's been awesome, you get used to that. And if it's been horrible, you get used to that too. And the thing is, whatever it is, whatever this past of yours is, whatever this life of yours is, you 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 like it because it's familiar, it's comfortable, and it's what you know. It's It becomes the only thing you know. And then there comes a point where you have to change. And change is a scary thing, even when you're changing from something that's, that's bad to good. It's a it's a scary thing. I don't know why it is, but it is. And in this movie, again, I'm I'm spoiling a few little things here, but I, I kind of I kind of have to necessarily. You know, everything basically turns out in the end. Everything basically turns out okay. You know, and Jack learns to adapt. He learns to adapt to this new world and to love it. And 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 what he learns is that the things that aren't familiar, that aren't comfortable, become familiar, and they become comfortable. They become what he's used to, and that becomes his new life. And what I'm trying to say to our listener, to Celeste, is you will learn to adapt too. You, you, you will have a new life, and that will become your new life. And all the things that seem scary and unfamiliar to you now will probably become somewhat comforting and familiar and routine in pretty short order. Not saying you're going to suddenly be the, the person who wants to live alone. You'll probably always want to live with someone, and that's fine too, but I think you will find things to love about this new life too. There's just, you have to you have to go through that door and get to the other side, to use an extremely corny metaphor. Sorry about that, but it's true. you gotta, you got you to gotta break on through to the other side. <laughs> Help me think of some more, Kristen. I'm full of them. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Well, Reefer, I have to say that that is both a beautiful and profound message, and I take it back. This is not necessarily a terrifying prescription. It's a very good one. It might be just what the doctor ordered. And yeah, the way you were talking about that right there, yeah, I agree with you. Celeste, you're going to you're gonna deal with this. You're going to get through this. You're going to be stronger. And yeah, the inertia of things may make it feel initially like, oh, no, this is scary. But right. After the first, you know, few days or few weeks, this will become something that maybe you'll look forward to. Maybe you'll look forward to not wearing pants anymore. Maybe you'll look forward to, <laughs> you know, playing the music a little too loud at night when, you know, normally you'd worry about your roommate. There are all sorts of things that maybe you'll adjust to that will become your new normal. So I love that, Rafer. That's fantastic. Nobody wears pants anymore, Kristen. You and I aren't wearing <laughs> pants right now. Are we? Shh. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> okay, Kristen, what is your prescription? I'm going for a much lighter prescription here. Okay. It's very, very different from yours. Maybe that's a good thing. It's a situation comedy that only aired for two years on ABC. It's currently on Hulu. It's called Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. 
Do you know this show, Rafer? Oh, yes. I Well, I remember seeing it, and I remember thinking, oh, I'd like to see this show. And then it was gone so fast, I never even got a chance to do it. Way too fast. It should have been airing for roughly 10 to 20 seasons. The writing is so snappy. It's so funny. Huh. For those who don't know it, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 is a sitcom starring Kristen Ritter, who is just hilarious. She stars as Chloe. She's an irresponsible party girl who searches for roommates by asking for rent up front and then behaving so terribly that they have to leave <laughs> and she never pays them back. But her newest roommate, June, played by Dreama Walker, turns the tables and the two end up forming an unlikely friendship and remaining roommates. And um, I also have to shout out James Vanderbeek, who's on the show playing Chloe's best ah. friend. He is just hilarious. He plays a fictionalized version of himself. You may recall that he was on Dawson's Creek. And Oh, yeah. Yes. That's where I know the name. And yeah. He, Not that I was a big Dawson's Creek uh, watcher, but I, I know the name. You would recognize him. He's hilarious. He's just desperate to revive his withering acting career. And he mentions like every third line that he was on Dawson's Creek. Oh, and that's he, funny. Here's a clip of Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. She replaced my eye cream with my lady cream. She shaved my hair and sold it for wigs. She replaced my birth control pills with breath mints. She'll eat your yogurt out of the fridge when it clearly says, June... She puked in my special thermal socks. I love that yogurt. Here I am, I'm 20 years old. I'm auditioning to play this 15-year-old high schooler named Dawson. She said everyone was going to play seven minutes in the closet. She told my parents I was kidnapped and used the ransom money to go to Paris. You know, it's a funny stuff. What? We're not? What are we talking about? Gave me a haircut while I was asleep. I don't know how she got my fingerprints on the handgun. She sold me to the crown prince of Calvedonia. Chloe can be opinionated and manipulative. Deceitful. Terrifying. Shifty. Horrible. Confusing. Chloe, I still love you. Are you sure you don't want to talk about me? Because I can talk about me. Nobody's better about talking about me than me. Well, I'm glad to hear that was a good show. Um, do you think it's kid-friendly? Is it the kind of thing my kids could watch? Some of the humor is kind of racy. Okay. And some of it's kind of naughty. And there are a lot of inside jokes that maybe your kids wouldn't quite understand. Mm. So I, I I would also tell you that originally it was called Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23. Right. And ABC was like, well, you can't say the word bitch. <laughs> right. I would imagine. <laughs> but let me just explain, Celeste, the reason why I am prescribing this to you. It's because roommates can be terrible. They can be just such a pain oh, in man. the rear. And this show makes that clear again and again and again. And more often than not, the best, funniest friends don't live with you. They're James Vanderbeek, who lives by himself in a different apartment, you know? Right. <laughs> and even if you decide living alone isn't for you after a trial run, Celeste, this show will remind you there are loads of other potential roommates out there. Maybe not now during COVID, but a few months down the road once we have vaccines. Chloe, who's terrible, finds them all the time, even though she's awful. And you, <laughs> Celeste, are not awful. You're lovable. You're wonderful. You're a great roommate. You always replace the toilet paper. I know that you're fantastic. And you can find another roommate if you want one eventually. You're not stuck in the situation forever. So that's why I'm prescribing Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. I love it. That sounds that sounds very that sounds very fun. I love the James Vanderbeek character. I love stuff like that. I love I love little meta things like that in a in a in a movie <laughs> or a TV show. Uh, all right, I will try to check that out. Uh, so once again, just to recap, Kristen's prescription is don't trust the bee in apartment twenty three, and for me, room. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, to everyone who continues to rate us five stars in Apple Podcasts. For example, Maria P514 recently gave us five stars and wrote, this podcast has been a light in the darkness of this crappy confined year. Thank you, Rafer and Kristen, for your cheerful and diverse recommendations and banter. It's the perfect blend of discussing movies and letter writer questions from two people who clearly care deeply about both movies and humans. Oh, well, thank you, Maria P. 514. Uh, thanks very much. We do love people and movies. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you noticed that. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, thanks for noticing. And again, thanks for the very, very kind review. And everyone else out there, stay with us. When we're back, we have someone who's sticking it out in an unhappy marriage for the sake of the kids. We're back with our second letter of the week. This one is from someone who has asked us to call her our in-house pseudonym, Emily. Kristen, you want to take this one? Yes. Emily says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm staying in my marriage for my kids. My situation already felt like a jail sentence even before COVID hit. Do you have any recommendations on movies or television shows that will make sticking it out more tolerable? The whole romance genre makes me feel cynical or cheated, and Thelma and Louise is satisfying but too dangerous to watch more than once every five years. My so-called partner is here, but not here. Please help. Oh, boy. Um, this is one of the heaviest letters we've ever gotten, isn't it, Rafer? Yeah. Yeah, this really is. Um, Emily, I'm going to make a joke at the outset, and I'm going to stop joking. I love your comment about Thelma and Louise <laughs> being too dangerous to watch. <laughs> that's funny. I just want to say. Emily, congratulations on keeping your sense of humor. <laughs> that's funny. Yes, totally. But let's talk about this. This is serious. You know, I... I I talked to my wife about this one because it's a, it's, this is a troubling letter. I don't know what to say about this. I was really of two minds on this. Uh, on the one hand, you are asking us to help you stay in what sounds like a loveless marriage. And I just don't know if that's the best thing. On the other hand, this is a decision you've come to. And I suppose we ought to respect it and help you in the way that you have asked for help. But, oh, I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, staying in a marriage for the kids, I don't know if that's the best thing. Kristen, what do you say? Oh, it's so tough. And um, I also talked with my husband about this. And You did. Notably, my husband and I are both children of divorce, as they used to call us back in the day. Children of divorce. Um, so, are, so are my wife and I. Yes, I was going to say that. So all four of us might have a different perspective on this than Emily does. Emily, we don't know what your background is. Maybe... Your background really does stress that your children will be damaged forever if you don't stay together. Rafer, uh, your wife, my husband, I, clearly our parents didn't believe that. <laughs> right. Um, they, right. They came from a different mindset. And I like to think that you and I and Anne and Dean, we all turned out okay. And yep. I mean, I like to think that we still turned out to be compassionate people with rich, full lives and jobs we like and we're in relationships that we enjoy. So we're the people who didn't get irrevocably damaged by divorce. So that maybe makes my perspective, you know, a little bit biased in that direction. Well, I mean, you know, again, it, I guess one of the things my wife often says about her, her own parents' divorce is that both of them 
went on to have quite fulfilling lives. Both of them uh, remarried and I think found found happiness. And if anything, I think my wife would say that what that modeled was they had gotten themselves into an unhappy situation and then got out of it. They took action to get out of it. Obviously, there were hurt feelings, and obviously, it, it certainly took a toll on my wife when she was younger, as it would on any kid. But I do think that one thing you're showing your children is that if you are stuck in a situation that you don't like, you need to take action to get out. And, you know, there's a lot of anger, I hear, in this in this in this letter, uh, you know, the word partner is in quotes. There's some bitterness here. I'm not saying it's not justified. I have no idea. It very well may could be, but there's anger here. And so I don't know. I, you know, ultimately, Kristen, I decided to honor this listener's request and not try to tell this person that they ought to get out of the marriage. I think I think either way is fine, frankly. I think either way is fine, but I, I, I went, I went for the, I went for the escapist fantasy in my prescription. That's that's what I did. All right. Well, tell us what that escapist fantasy is, Rafer. All right. I went for a movie from 1990 that I've always loved. It's been near and dear to my heart, called La Femme Nikita. Um, uh, do you know the movie? If you love kicking ass and taking names, you love La Femme Nikita. <laughs> totally. She. <laughs> Kicks ass, takes names, takes more names, kicks more ass. That's what La Femme Nikita does. That's exactly right. This was this movie really kind of um, hit me like a bolt out of the blue in in 1990. Uh, the story is uh, it's about a woman named Nikita. She's played by Anne Pariod. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. She's a very troubled teen. It's this this one of those movies where the actress clearly is not in her teens, but that's okay. Um, you know, she's kind of a punk. She's definitely a junkie, definitely a criminal, and she's hanging out with a bad crowd, and she winds up murdering a policeman. It's, this is not some little crime. She kills a cop. Now, she's in jail, and she's looking at the death penalty. She's about to be executed, but in one of those great scenes, she is brought to an interrogation room where she meets a bureaucrat named Bob, excuse me, Bob. That's French. And he offers her a choice. Uh, I, was all, I was always amused by the fact that there was a French guy named Bob. 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 And he offers her a choice. Uh, you know, you can either undergo training to become a skilled assassin, of course, or go ahead and be executed. Uh, what he calls, you can, actually, you can actually occupy the real grave that we've already marked out for you. So Nikita, of course, chooses the training and discovers, hey, she's pretty good at it. And she embarks on a new life as an assassin. We can't play a clip because the movie is in French, but I will just say that I've loved this movie. I've always loved this movie. I think it's highly influential. It's my first introduction to Luc Besson, the director, and I just, I love it to death. Kristen, have you seen the movie? Do you know it? I have. And what's interesting is my mother loved the movie. Really? And um, a few years after that, she ended up getting divorced from her second husband, my stepdad. <laughs> so hmm. I don't know if the movie had anything to do with it or what, but... More you know. than coincidence? We don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it is fierce. And I feel like it was one of the earlier movies of, we see this a lot now where like you take a young girl and you reprogram her and make her a killer. But totally. they didn't really exist very much back then. No. This was kind of a new thing back then. 
I thought this movie was groundbreaking in a lot of ways, actually. Uh, that, like I say, I, when, it, when I saw it, I was just really kind of uh, gobsmacked, as the Brits say. You know, first of all, I didn't know that the, that the French made trashy movies. I just thought they made, you know, uh, <laughs> like really intelligent dramas that ended with everyone being miserable. And then here was this great, you know, great kind of trashy, pulpy action flick from this guy named Luc Besson. And it was stylish and fun and pretty hard hitting. And the hero was a woman, which... You know, frankly, I guess in 1990, maybe I'd seen that here and there, but I just, there just weren't that many movies with a female action hero in, in 1990. That seemed really unusual to me. And like you said, Kristen, I think this has spawned a whole, um, well, I mean, first of all, it spawned that remake with uh, Bridget Fonda, and then it uh, spawned a television show. And, you know, and then every time I see a movie, like I can think of a few, there was Salt with Angelina Jolie. Uh, that's ah, got a yes. little bit of that. The Rhythm Section, which just came out recently with Blake Lively. Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence. That's a terrible film. Uh, oh, God, I wanted it to be good. Oh, it was so bad. Boy, was that bad. I wanted it to be good. Yeah, oh. I did too. And what's got Jennifer Lawrence? You know, you think it's going to be good. Yeah, and, and even I would say The Americans with the character that Carrie Russell plays. Right. So I feel like there, I, I don't know if all these movies were consciously ripping off La Femme Nikita, but whenever I see these movies, all I ever think of is like, ah, they already did that with La Femme Nikita, and that was better. Um, <laughs> anyway, the reason I'm recommending it to our listener who is going through this difficult, difficult thing in her marriage, it's an escapist fantasy. And what I, what I love about the movie is that Nikita is just totally out on her own. She's, she's just out alone. She's not even really part of society. It's like she has just turned her back on kind of everything to become this underworld killing machine. And you can tell that it's kind of cathartic for her because she's got this kind of effed up background, all this violence and killing. You can tell she's good at it and she likes it. We don't know exactly what her problems were, what her early childhood was like, but but we know she's kind of a screwed up person and she wants to take it out in the world. And I personally find that an extremely appealing fantasy to live out on screen. I don't know about you, Emily, <laughs> our listener, but I like that idea. And I think that you might be able to get some kind of vicarious satisfaction out of, you know, watching Nikita, you know, wreak havoc on the world this way. And she's independent and she's on her own, which I think is also really important. And so that's why I chose it. Nice. La Femme Nikita. And again, don't watch the remake with Bridget Fonda. Watch the original. No, not nearly as good, although I do like Bridget Fonda. But there yes. you go. <laughs> and so, Kristen, how about you? What have, what have you chosen? Well, I feel like my prescription might not be delivering as well as yours is. Um, yours is wonderful escapist fare. There's no denying that's what La Femme Nikita is. But you know what I really honed in on from Emily's letter here was, Emily, when you said that watching romantic movies makes you feel cynical or cheated. Yes. I've been in that situation before. Oh, my God. There was one relationship I was in for way too long. I just didn't have it in me to leave when I should have. I, I, I may have mentioned this on the show before. It was after my nana, then my mother died in quick succession, and I just became emotionally paralyzed. And for a few years there, like I just could not make any major moves in my life. There were things I should have done differently, but I just couldn't do anything. And one thing I absolutely abhorred during that time in that relationship I was in for too long was anytime I'd accidentally end up watching a romance. And I would just look at that and think, oh, this is the worst. I don't want to watch these sweet people fall in love. You know what? Somebody should find the original reels of the notebook and burn them. I was just so <laughs> not into it. It was really so I know what that feels like, Emily, to be in that situation where just even seeing romance just oh, like, oh, it's the worst. It's the worst. So I really, you know, 
wanted to focus mostly on that. And that's why I chose for you Revolutionary Road from 2008. Ooh. Oh, boy, Kristen. <laughs> boy, you certainly, you, that's, a, that's a 180. That's a 180 right there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's very different from your movie, Rafer, but yes. it also is very different from a romance. That's for sure. So Revolutionary Road is based on the 1962 novel from Richard Yates. It was adapted to film by Sam Mendes in 2008. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet as pretty much the opposite of the characters they played in Titanic. Uh, <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. He's cheating. She's pregnant and does not want to be pregnant. They're miserable. They're trying their best to keep up appearances in their uptight, mid-century, waspy Connecticut world. They are not happy. Here's a clip. April, can you please just get back in the car and talk about this instead of running all over Route 12? Haven't I made it clear I don't particularly want to talk about it? I mean, Jesus, I'm trying to be nice about this thing here, for God's sakes. Oh, how kind of you. How terribly, terribly kind of you. Wait a minute, I don't deserve this. But you're always so wonderfully definite on the subject of what you do and don't deserve. Wait a minute. Wait a goddamn... April, now you listen to me. This is one time you're not going to get away with twisting everything that I say, April. This just happens to be one goddamn time. I know I'm not in the wrong here. Christ, I wish you'd stayed home. You know what you are when you're like this, April? You're sick. I really mean that you're sick. And do you know what you are? What? You're disgusting. Oh, yeah? You don't fool me, Frank. Just because you got me safely in this little trap, you think you can bully me into feeling whatever you, you want me to feel. in a trap. Yes. You yes. in a trap. Me, Jesus Frank. Christ. Me. Don't make me laugh. You pathetic, self-deluded little boy. Look at you. Look at you and tell me how by any stretch of the imagination you can call yourself a man. Boy, that movie. Ugh. Whew. Can it get more miserable? Yes, because the next scene is even more miserable. <laughs> right. Oh, it can't get worse than that. Yes, it does. It's even worse. Oh, and here comes Michael Shannon. Oh, now things are really miserable. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, Kristen, are you doing the opposite thing that I'm doing? Are you trying to tell Emily that, that she really should consider getting a divorce and getting herself out of this unhappy situation? Uh, I might kind of be. Yeah. Yeah, listen, I think that's fair. It's not I don't think it's bad advice. I mean, I mean, here's here's what I'm really trying to do. On the one hand, I just wanted to give Emily something to relate to. She can see her story on screen in a more exaggerated way possibly by watching this and maybe feel less alone. So, that's one reason I prescribed it, but the other is maybe by the end you'll actually look at this movie and think I have more options than I realized. I have more options than these people do in this story. And maybe one of those options is to leave. So again, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I'm trying to give you kind of two possibilities by watching this. Either A, I'm not alone, or B, I can leave. Sure, sure. That's interesting. Uh, listen, I think that's totally valid. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject a small side note here. Um, I got to interview uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, before this movie came out. And so I was all excited. Yeah. And so I did kind of like a lot more work and research on the film than I probably would have if I would just been reviewing it. Um, I'd never heard of Richard Yates, the author. I'd never heard of the book Revolutionary Road. Mm. Um, but somehow his name had never come across uh, my radar and nor had the book. I, I didn't know anything about it. This was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And so I thought, oh, I should go get uh, the book and read it. Because I love those waspy Connecticut books and all their and all their misery and I, I love that stuff. <laughs> and I I will just say that this book, uh, like like almost killed me 
It was so good. I, I just, I could not believe the book was so powerful, so much more powerful than anything in that genre I have ever read. And I was, I was just floored by it. And I, I've never forgotten it. There's a lot of other stuff I could take away from that book and talk about for my own personal life that affected me as well. But I mean, it just, it just hit me where it counted and I, I wasn't sure I would recover. It was incredible. And I thought the movie did a, did a pretty good job. I'm not sure any movie could do quite as good a job. I'm not sure any movie could, could really capture the power of that book, but I do think there's some great scenes in this movie between the two of them and also between Michael Shannon, who's so good in this movie. Um, Michael Shannon is just... (laughs) Michael Shannon you know one thing I'm glad of I'm glad I'm not that kid oh boy (laughs) whoo doggy yeah anyway yeah so listen I think but but Kristen I think you're right to um to suggest this so maybe you know maybe we've got two opposing kind of uh, uh two opposing approaches here to the problem right from Kristen Revolutionary Road and from me uh La Femme Nikita there's your choice Emily All right. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy or some TV therapy? Visit our website, RaferAndKristen.com. Fill out the contact form there. You don't have to use your real name. You can be an Emily like we just had on now, or you can be any other name if you like. And if you haven't already, join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and Kristen. When we're back, we have this week's What Should I Watch Next? Letter of the Week. We are back and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next? Letter. This one is from Melissa. All right. Melissa says... Dear Rafer and Kristen, I heard you mention Brooklyn Nine-Nine a couple times, so I decided to start watching from the beginning on Hulu and fell fast for how fun and easy it is. After catching a few episodes with me, my 10-year-old son was also immediately hooked. He loves the silliness of the detectives, and I like that he's seeing people of color and people of different sexual orientations as the heroes, and we both love the Halloween heist episodes. We finished the series and are eagerly awaiting the new season. In the meantime... What should we watch next? Oh, hooray, Melissa. I love hearing from people who uh, hear our prescriptions and actually, you know, go and seek them out. That's so fun that you watch this and that your son liked it. It's also just a bonus anytime there's a show that the kids like too, because we have a lot of parents who listen to the show who they do want to know, can I watch this with my kid if my kid is this age? And um, it's good to know that your 10-year-old enjoyed Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm a huge fan of the show. It's very nice to have a good show. Um, Well, Kristen, since you are the person who uh, introduced uh, both this listener and me to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, what is your prescription? Well, Rafer, as unoriginal as it sounds, my initial inclination was to prescribe another half-hour multicultural sitcom with people of different sexual orientations. We've already prescribed it before, though, unfortunately. It is Superstore. And in addition to prescribing it before, there's this other issue with the show right now. Yes. As we are recording this pro- this podcast, it's basically on hold. I don't really know what's happening with it. I know there was some talk about America Ferreira leaving, then she decided she was going to come back. Now COVID is is happening. Um, when I look on Hulu, there's this sort of scattered collection of two or three episodes left for the final season, and that's it. And my kids and I are really kind of, I think we've been saving them and trying to watch other stuff because we're afraid to see the last the last uh, unsatisfactory cliffhanger episodes of a, of a mid-season show that's just going to end. 
All right. So since we're not going to prescribe Superstore, I decided instead to prescribe Scrubs. Mm. Scrubs is currently on Hulu. Um, It's that show from 2001 to 2010, that hospital sitcom that swept the nation. You know it, Rafer, right? With Zach Braff, right? Yes, of course. Of course, yes. (laughs) Yes, and I I say it's a comedy, but it considers itself kind of a comedy drama. Uh, Scrubs follows the lives of employees at the fictional Sacred Heart Hospital, which is a teaching hospital. The main characters are best friends J.D., played by Zach Braff, who you just mentioned, and Turk, played by Donald Faison, who um, they've been buddies since college. The show also stars Sarah Chalk as Elliot, who's one of their fellow doctors, and Judy Reyes as Nurse Carla Espinosa. The show is fast-paced, it's funny, and like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it is a multicultural 22-minute procedural. Here's a clip. I'm so proud of you, man. You know, I've always emulated you. I shaved my private's ball to look like your head. Todd, I'm actually kind of touched. Come on. What's going on? They're going to publish my old therapy paper. There it was. He wanted a hug, and I damn sure wanted to give him one. But all we could do was say this. Congrats. Thanks, man. Don't look back. Fight it. Fight it. Damn it, you're only human. Turk! I ran all the way around. It's I'm gonna look for people. Uh, Kristen, I'm just going to be totally honest with you. Never seen Scrubs. Oh, I am surprised because this show is tailor-made for somebody like you. Me? I used to call it the rom-com for straight men because (laughs) you watch the men be goofy and zany and there's slapstick humor and there's flashbacks and dream Ah. segments. And yet the guys also in the middle of all this wackiness, sometimes they reveal their insecurities. Sometimes they hug it out. Sometimes one of them cries. Um, In fact, I actually was thinking how a few weeks ago we had somebody write in who wanted the men in her life to be more in touch with their feelings. Yeah, that's right. Maybe cry if they needed to. I I was thinking I should have prescribed scrubs to that person because... (laughs) Because that's what this show is. It's a it's a show where guys who just feel like guys maybe don't even realize they're crying by the end of an episode watching it. Oh. Because the guys are just, yeah, they're being dudes. And every once in a while, the humor is so immature that you're like, oh, God, these guys are idiots. But then you might <laughs> still have a tear in your eye. And I just think, though, that it makes sense as the next step, because in addition to it being multicultural in 22 minutes, as I already mentioned, it also is a show that is in a hospital. And I always think that hospital shows are the next step after a police show or vice versa. Interesting. There's something about like the procedural of yep. police or the procedural of doctors that yep. I feel like they kind of work. If you like one, you might like the other. A little bit of a, there's a mystery component. What's the problem here? There's, you get, yes. you get the story of the of the patient that you become involved in, just like you'd be get, you'd get involved in the story of the case that the cop is covering. I get that. That's a, that's a, good, yeah. that's a good point. I like that. Yeah. And it's never about the person in the hospital bed or the dead body in the alley. It's really about your lead characters and the growth they have along the way and then laughing. Right. right? (laughs) That's right. No, I think that's exactly right. Okay, well, this is good because I I need some I need some new things to watch with my kids. So maybe maybe Scrubs would be it. Yeah, I think you'll like it. Some of the humor I will just be up front is a little stupid and a little dated. It's amazing how much something can age in 20 years. But, you know, it's still fun. And Rafer... What are you going to prescribe, though? Well, speaking of things that are a little dated, and only a little dated, 
Uh, I have picked a movie called Fletch from 1985, starring Chevy Chase at the absolute top of his game. Kristen, I don't know if you're familiar with Fletch. Rafer, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever seen it, but I know no. that it was a favorite with so many of my friends at one point. Oh, I thought of it course. was hilarious. Oh, it's just, I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard for me to even uh, really explain how much I love this film. Um, but I'll tell you the story and maybe you'll get a, an idea of why I'm recommending it. Um, so like I say, it's uh, it's got Chevy Chase. He's, he plays a guy named Fletch and he's um, he's one of those great improbable, non-existent characters. He's a newspaper reporter who also solves crimes. I, I, I always love to point out that that people, reporters, do not solve crimes. They're not allowed to solve crimes. They don't do that. That's not what they do. But back uh, in the 1930s, 40s, and even 50s, right. they always did in the movies. I love solving. that. Back in that day, people like me and you, Rafer, we would solve crimes. That's exactly right. You know, one, I'll tell you one thing people forget. Tintin. Tintin was technically a reporter. He was oh, actually, a, no one even right. remembers. He did so little reporting and so much crime solving. People <laughs> forget that he was actually employed as a freaking journalist. Um, anyway, it's a nice little fantasy. And so here you have it. He's a reporter for the LA Times. He's trying to find out who is operating a drug ring that's been pushing heroin on the on the beaches of LA. So he's been undercover. He's gone undercover as a homeless drug addict for the past few weeks. Again, not something reporters do. You're not allowed to do that. You don't do that. But anyway, in the meantime, while he's being the the bum on the beach, he gets an offer from a rich man who wants to pay him for his own murder in a kind of a film noirish twist. Uh, it all seems to be connected, but how? Fletch will have to use his skills as a master of disguise to get to the bottom of things. And here's a clip. You are confirmed on Pan Am Flight 441 to Rio de Janeiro tomorrow evening, 11 p.m., first class. That's terrific. Thank you. I hope there's nobody sitting next to me. You see, I always travel first class, and I uh, take both seats up. I'm in bridge work, bridge uh, construction. These foldouts take a tremendous amount of space up, and I need the space. I'm afraid there is someone sitting next to you. Oh, for God, Don, Don. <sighs> Who is it, Mr. Sinlinden? No, the name's Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh? Ah, is that Morris or Pierre? Sally Ann Kavanaugh. Sally Ann? Well, terrific. In fact, you purchased the ticket for Miss Kavanaugh. Doesn't mean I want her sitting next to me, does it? Oh, Rafer, this sounds so <laughs> stupid. But also, maybe just the right thing. I really think it is. Um... You know, I just think this is one of the one of the you know one of the great original um, kind of freewheeling detective comedies. You know, and and Chevy Chase is just perfect for this character. I know everyone loves uh, the National Lampoon Vacation movies, um, but I would say this is really his crowning moment. Um, you know, he was always great at slapstick. Um, but what he was really great at was kind of a verbal slapstick. I mean, I think you can hear it. The lines in this movie, every line is like he's slipping on a banana peel or dropping an anvil on someone's head <laughs> or, or just taking a pratfall. Uh, he's just so good at it. It's endlessly quotable. I could quote you almost every line from the movie. You've got a great cast. Uh, Tim Matheson plays the evil rich guy. Gina Davis has a small role. Uh, the great Richard Libertini is the editor. M. Emmett Walsh. Joe Don Baker is the police chief. Kenneth Mars from the from the original producers. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I will say, I mentioned earlier, the movie is a tiny bit dated. Um, 
there's some sexual innuendo. There's a little bit of language. And the, the, the woman that Fletch falls in love with, she's a bit of a cliche. She's not totally dumb and helpless, but she's kind of getting there. And I do kind of wish that she'd been given a little bit more of a brain, a sense of humor, a little more capability. Listen, it's 1985. You can't have everything. But I still think the film is just a great, great sort of comedy mystery. I showed it to my kids. You know, they're 10 and 12. They didn't get all the references. They didn't think it was that funny when Fletch introduces himself to someone as Nugent, Ted Nugent, uh, because they don't know who the hell Ted Nugent is. But, (laughs) But they basically enjoyed the humor. They thought it was funny, and they loved the Fletch character. So that's my recommendation. All right. So once again, those recommendations are from Rafer Fletch. And for me, Scrubs, I think those are pretty good recommendations, Rafer, for what to watch next. I think so, too. I think we've done well. Um, And I think, Kristen, that is it. We're done with this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Indeed we are. But everyone out there, please don't hesitate to reach out if you need some questionable advice and a solid movie or TV recommendation. Again, you can reach out to us at RaferAndKristen at gmail.com. You do not have to use your real name. You can also tweet us at RaferGuzman and at Kristen Meinzer. And one more reminder, if you haven't already, please tell your friends about our show. It really does help a lot. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.